0: Jeff, if you're just joining us, good morning. I hope you're having a blessed day thus far. We're up out of bed, dressed, ready for church, ready to worship God. Give Him our best. We're continuing our time together through our Christian Living series. Um, I have this message and one more um, as we continue to look at Colossians chapter 3. Then after that, Pastor Stephen will be uh, diving right in and taking you guys do um, the passage and uh, the seeds and producing fruit and what that looks like. And I'm excited about his message. I always enjoy his teaching. Um, I know he doesn't like me saying this, but I, I tell Pastor Stephen frequently that I'm blessed to be able to sit under his teaching uh, as a pastor. And uh, I, I gain a lot from it. And I'm, I'm very uh, uh, not only encouraged, but I, I'm challenged and strengthened and sharpened. Um, by the word that he brings uh, when he gives his messages. And so, um, something to look forward to. Uh, as we continue our time together, um, we're going to do a brief review over the past two messages. If you're just barely joining us in our series on a hill to die on, Colossians chapter 3, um, I want to bring everyone up to speed um, Briefly, as I normally do, just in case you've missed something, forgot something, or you were not able to uh, listen to the message or the past two messages since we started. We uh, began in Colossians chapter 3, um, the first part of verse 1, the if-then. Um, if you remember the the if-then uh, have been raised, if you then have. Have been raised with Christ, right? And before we got into the second part of verse one, which was the following week, we really looked at that if and then. We looked at that if of if you have truly died to self, if you have truly given your life to Jesus Christ as your master, your Lord, and your Savior, um, then you've been raised. With him, right, and so and we want—we don't want to assume. We want to look at this in a way that, look, this is Paul addressing Christians and those who are calling themselves Christians. And the problem that uh, Paul is dealing with is—is is all of the sin, all of the carnality, all of the flesh, all the things that the Colossians have brought in to the Christian faith. And we're going to look at that quite a bit this morning on how they came to Christ, uh, but after coming to Christ. Uh, they didn't leave the sinful ways, the carnality, the ways of the flesh behind them. I talked about fight or flight um, on are are we a fight or flight type of person? Are we very passive? Do we run away from conflict? Uh, do we run away from dealing with sin in our life or do we fight against it or the other way around? Are we fighting for the wrong things or for the wrong reasons, the wrong purposes and understanding uh, the hill that we truly need to die on. And we looked at the hill that Christ died on. We looked at Calvary, Golgotha, and the reasoning and understanding behind that and how the gospel is the hill that we should die on. God's word is the hill that we should die on and nothing else. As we looked at that, we needed to continue to understand what we stand for. What we stand for. If we've been raised with Christ, are we standing for the right things? The right things being the things of the Scriptures, not the things of the world. And we're going to continue down that path because so many of us continue to stand for things of this world. We continue to stand for things that uh, we 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 get worked up about, we're emotional about, or maybe we have a friend, or we we know somebody, or a person we looked up we look up to. And, Because they're standing for this thing. We need to stand for this thing as well. But as we look at Christ and what Christ sacrificed and what Christ gave and how God ordained all of that to be, we begin to fall more and more in love with Jesus and understanding that is the only hill as Christians we should look to die on. So as we looked at the if, then, and then raised Um, We then went to verses 1, the second half of verse 1 to verse 4, to seek and to set, to seek and to set. What do we value? What do we desire? And Paul's addressing the fact that if you've been raised with Christ, if you've died to self and been raised with Christ, if you are a new being, a new creation, if you are a true Christian, then you've been raised with him and you need to be what? Seeking heavenly things, to seek heavenly heavenly things and set your mind on things above. This is what Paul is challenging us to do, because as we continue to live in this broken and fallen world, we get distracted so easily. Every waking moment, something is tugging and pulling and trying to jockey for our time, for our desires, for our passions. For everything that we have. We looked at the, the time and treasure and talents, the things that we value is what we invest in. So what do you invest in as a Christian? Are you, are you, are you pouring your time? Are you pouring uh, your heart, your resources, your money, all these things? Are you pouring them in to godly things, to things that are heavenly, to things that are above, just as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God? And we looked at the mind and the heart. The things that we, we dwell on, we meditate on, that we fill our minds with, the things that we desire, that we seek, that we run after, that we chase, these heavenly things. One of the things that we need to continue to understand is that we are constantly being met with a choice. Heavenly things versus worldly things. Heavenly things... Versus worldly things. So, as we looked at the if, then, raised, and then the seek and the set, we are going to be diving in into the next passage, verses five through ten. But one thing that I want to have as a backdrop for us this morning is the word fan. Now, a lot of people know. And the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of people know that it's, it's sports season. There's been hockey stuff and baseball stuff and basketball stuff and football stuff. And, and I'm asked this question a lot. Um, uh, I, I grew up a 49ers fan, old school, 80s Niner fan, and uh, have a Niners jersey. I watch, try to watch as much as the games that I can. Um, I root for them. Anybody who's been to my house for a football game, I, I'm excited. You know, I I root for them so for some reason. We all think they can hear us through the television, um, but I'm, I'm a fan. But in a sense, I'm not a fan. And why is that? Because where do we get the word fan? It comes from the word fanatic. Fanatic. It's something that has this. Someone who has a zeal, a zeal for, for a one-track mind, for, for, for a pointed purpose or reason, you are a fanatic for this thing, for this team, for this individual, whatever it may be. And if you, if you Google it and you look at the definition, the word fanatic really gives us a sense of, wow, commitment, the, the word die hard, right? Something that we're sold out for. We're excited about. We're a fan. We're a fanatic. One of the things that continues uh, to concern me is just the way that even the professional sports is gone. Um, I don't watch it anymore. Uh, this year, I I, I uh, made a decision to not watch any sports. Um, well, I do watch one, but it really has Not allowed a lot of the things that are going on to infiltrate and, you know, watch sports to to watch people do what they're paid to do. Um, I even gone to the point of we canceled our uh, television channels and all that, and I don't watch sports anymore, period. Why? Because that's not what I why I watch it. I don't watch it for these uh, alternate agendas for people that uh, are pushing uh, their beliefs and politics and all these different things, they're pushing all these things. That's not why I watch it. I don't want to be continue to be bombarded by these things, but at the end of the day, I don't really consider myself a fanatic. I don't care if that's my team. Some of the conversations I have with other Christians about these things, they're like, well, I'm a diehard fan. And I said, that is fine. It's under- I understand that, and I, I know you want to continue to root for your team and these things. And and that's pretty much the basis of our conversations when it comes to professional sports. But one of the things that I walk away from is, when was the last time I saw that same person excited about Jesus? See, the thing is, is I think we are all fans in some way. We're all fanatics. We all have this zeal, this desire, this burning passion for certain things. But are they the right things? Are they heavenly things? Are they Christ? One of the things that I want us to continue to have as a backdrop as we press forward in Colossians chapter 3 is this understanding of what am I chasing after? Because up to this point, we really looked at the, the, the head and the heart, the mind and the heart, right? The desires, the thoughts, what we believe, and now we're looking at the walk, the action, practical application of a Christian life. This is what we are going to begin to look at. Now, this morning, we're going to look at one section, and don't worry, there's there's a counterpart to this, and it's going to be next Sunday. Um, Paul understands this. I understand this, that this all needs to be encompassed into one neat package, but really don't have time for all of that. And to be honest, I could take this next passage, the passage that, we're, that I'm preaching today, I could probably preach on it for three or four weeks. And some of you are like, oh. Well, thank God, thank goodness you're not. Don't worry, I'm not. But before we go any further, let me pray, and we will get into our passage this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. We humbly come before you with a heart and a mind that is willing, that is submissive to your word. May you use the Holy Spirit To convict us and guide us and counsel us through this time. May you use your word. To strike. At our very heart. To judge the intentions and motives and desires. Lord, we ask that this time would honor and glorify you above all things. And that this message would be of you and no one else. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not already there, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're picking up in verse 5. As always, we'll be in several passages this morning. And we're going to be walking through a few different things. And and it's not going to be a, a complete exhaustive thing. Like I said, I... I just don't have the amount of time that I I would want to have just to preach on this passage alone. But I'm pretty sure. um, Well, my my hope and my prayer is, is that you would get the the main meat and potatoes that Paul is trying to help us understand and see that he is dealing with at the Church of Colossae. Verse five of Colossians three put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. Impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now we see very quickly here in verse five, and we're just going to take, we're just going to take the first part of verse five, and then we will get into the rest of it in just a moment. But (laughs) We really have to stop at this first part where it says, put to death. Put to death. And I know some of you that are very familiar with this, this, uh, this chapter here in Colossians and, and knew what we were coming up to, what we were going to be looking at and addressing. Um, and some of you, may this may be one of the first times you've ever studied Colossians 3. One of the things that we need to see is that this is an element, this is an understanding of very um, practical application and addressing very practical things in the church of Colossae. I'm going to get to that more in just a moment, but let's look at that word, put to death. Some other translations that you may have may be considered dead or mortified, therefore. Um, the root word for this, this for death, considered dead, mortify, is necro. Necro. Um, it, it can be used in many different forms, but the essence of, of what the, the the Greek usage here is really trying to put forward is this is something that's not already dead, but this is something that needs to die. This is something that needs to be put to death. This is something that essentially is saying, kill it kill it then we go to the word therefore it says put to death therefore and as i always say and i stop when we come to the word therefore is when we see it we need to ask why is it there for this is a debt a, a direct uh, correlation with verse three so if you look quickly um so Colossians 3, verse 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's a, there's a correlation, but a separation, okay? So one is a reference to salvation, for therefore you have died to the old self, and now you are a new being, a new creation in Christ, in Christ alone. Here in verse 5, this is not the same thing because over in verse 3 it says well if then then you have been raised so the assumption or what Paul is saying like look if you truly are saved then you've died and you've been raised with Christ so that's done here in verse 5 it it's not dead it's pointing that out put to death consider dead Mortify, therefore, it's something that needs to die. You need to kill it. You need to kill it. He continues on by saying, what is earthly in you? So Paul is directly going after the individual. What is earthly in you? Some of your translations use the word members or member or members of your body. We're going to see this word members quite a bit, but let me explain it a little bit further. It's not, I need to, I need to kill my arm. It's a, it's a part of my member. I need to be dismembered. It, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying, Paul is saying there's parts of you, there's pieces of within you that you are clinging to that is sin. And these things that are clinging to you and you are clinging to them, you need to kill it. They need to die. Why? Because if then, then you've been raised. And if you've been raised, you need to be seeking and setting. And since if then, and you're seeking and setting, you need to what? Kill it. Kill what? What is earthly in you. See, the thing is, is we... We hear this over and over and over again, and you're going to find that we are just like the church at Colossae. Paul begins to move from this doctrinal statements in verses 1 through 4, and we're getting this doctrinal foundation for us to build off of. He's taking us back, reminding us of our salvation, remembering, reminding us that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, that we've died to our old self, and now we're new being, a new creation. But we have to remember all these false teachers... That Paul was addressing, he was confronting, he was calling out. But not only that, they were within the church. And why is this? Because as these Colossians were converted to Christianity, they do what a lot of Christians do now. And what I see even more clearly now than I ever seen before. is we come to Christ and we come to that cross, And we come to Calvary, and then we walk away. It is no longer a hill we die on. It is no longer a hill that we die on. For some reason, we think that we can pick up our salvation, we can pick up this this grace, we can pick up this ticket, this free salvation, and put it in our pocket and walk away. Clinging and holding on to all the things that we came to the cross with. For some reason, we think that we can be Christians, that we can even use the word followers of Christ and never deal with the sin in our life. For some reason, we are just like the church here in Colossians. They brought with them the carnality, the flesh, the world. They brought with them into the faith, into the church, their old ways. And Paul is addressing that here. Therefore. Therefore, you have died. You have died with Christ. So now it is time for us to put to death the sin that we continue to hold on to, the sin that is still within us. And the problem is we cling to the old sin. And that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Am I clinging to my old sin or maybe have new sin? But are you clinging to that versus clinging to the cross, to your new self, being a new being, a new creation, being transformed and renewed, being a living sacrifice, being an act of worship to God? Is this something that we cling to? turn me to ephesians 4 ephesians 4 i kind of wrestled with um using it now versus the end of the message i i want to use it now i'm going to reference it again um you can put a mark there if you want um just a heads up there's there's a couple different places as as i was reviewing my notes this morning that that i i want to add a couple things so it might not be on the screen i apologize But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 says this, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which what belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires. See, this is where we really get confused because a lot of times we, we always revert back to what we're comfortable with. We don't like change. The majority of people don't like change. And see, that's the scary thing about Christianity. Christianity is all about change. That's what sanctification is. It's changing all the time. How? Why? To be more like Christ. See, that's the thing is change is something that should be embraced and acknowledged and accepted and prayed for and looked for by every Christian. When any time I have a conversation with a believer and they say, I don't like change, it's like, well, then are you saved? Let's talk about your salvation. Some of you might be saying right now, well, Pastor Raph, you can't say if someone doesn't like change, they might not be saved. Uh, No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's talk about your salvation. Don't worry, I don't like change either. When I was a believer and I first came, where I first came to Christ, I had a lot of unhealthy bad habits. One of the things that I continue to say over and over again, this message is just not for, for all of you, it's for me and sometimes it's more for me than anyone else. And it's interesting because when I first became a believer and I had all these bad habits and I did all these things, were very ungodly. God began to work within me. Hey, should you be doing that? Should you be doing that? Should you be doing that? And I became convicted. See, this is a sign of the Holy Spirit being within you because if you're a Christian, change is going to be a conviction that the Holy Spirit pushes and prods constantly in your life. That's why I asked, let's talk about your salvation. So Holy Spirit no, it's not just a, a helper. So It's just not someone greater than Christ, right? This is the uh, part of uh, who God is, that conviction, that helper, that someone that is going to bring convictions in your life, and ultimately you and I are the only ones that can, what, act on those convictions. Let's continue on here in Ephesians. It says, what well, we are to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful things, it's helping us understand that our old life, our old person is corrupt and deceitful. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, see the renewing of our minds again, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm going to read verse 25 because I'm going to reference it later. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, what? One of another. So we have to understand that... The world, our old flesh, is deceitful. It wants to trick us. It wants to lead us astray. It wants us to stumble. thing is, is why do we keep clinging to it? Remember, if then. Did you get past the if and the then? Then the raised. All right. If then raised with Christ. What? Seek and set the transforming of the mind, the renewing of the mind, something that should be a continuous motion, a continuous pattern with the Christian, with the believer. Why? Because if then raised. We need to kill sin in our lives. Now, Paul is getting into the negative stuff now. We're going to be transitioning here in a moment as we get to the the next section in a in a Colossians chapter 3 and um, this is interesting and I, I I struggle with making this point or not but I I, I want to make it here as a segue into our next point I remember a few years back um, here in Merced when I pastored at a, at another church and And did other ministries, I can remember um, people telling me, you know, Pastor Raph, we need to, as Christians, we need to teach more of what we're for and not always what we're against. And I struggled with that because it didn't make sense to me. Because if, as Christians, we're only looking at what we're for, then when do we ever address sin as I've mentioned before in past teachings, there is no good news without the bad news. Because if you don't have the bad news, no one can ever understand or reason or accept the fact that they are eternally separated from God, that they are sinners, that they're dead in their trespasses. So, this understanding or this thought or this bumper sticker slogan that I like to call it, we need to teach what Christians are for, not what they're against. It, it's false teaching to me. Because we're cutting out a whole bunch of scripture. A whole bunch of scripture. We must ask ourselves, truly, do we understand the sin in our life? We must know that we, are, we must understand and know what we are against to know and understand what we are for. Because as Christians, we can't come and say, well, we... We this, and we love this, and love, and love, and grace, and mercy. He's like, those are amazing, wonderful things. But why do we have love? Why do we have grace? Why do we have mercy? Because of sin. Because of our fallen nature. Because of the brokenness. Because of this world. Because of flesh. Because of the old self. This this mindset or for some reason, this philosophy of Christians should just talk about and teach what they're for and not what they're against is a complete dilution of what the faith is truly about. We need to have an understanding of what we are against, what God is against. See, that's the thing is a lot of times we we're like, oh, well, you're just against these things. It's not me. God's against these things. I'm just teaching and preaching and living out what God has commanded me to do and the thing is we don't want to hear it because we live in a culture and a society that it's unacceptable to say things that aren't accepted by everyone for some reason we think that a completely tolerant society um, is what we are when we are more intolerant than ever so that leads me to the next passage or the next verse and a half i guess i should say Colossians chapter 3, the second half of of verse 5 and verse 6. So as we see that we need to put to death, we need to kill this sin, right? What is earthly in you, in your members of your body that you're still clinging to, right? Paul gives us a list. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. If you ever wonder where some of these people holding up signs, right? The wrath of God is coming. Repent. This, that, it's all biblically based. It's not necessarily applied in the right ways or the mode of transportation for that message is not not the right one to choose or not one that I would personally choose, but it is from Scripture. So we're going to address these uh, one at a time, not necessarily to address them, but I'm going to break them down and then address it as a whole, because naturally, we need to understand as, as people, we obey and s- we obey and serve, right? We're obedient to what we're holding on to, what we're excited about, what we want. And a lot of times, what that is is deep down inside, and we don't let anybody know about it. No one really knows but us. Paul addresses five sins here. And to be honest, if we look at them in the correct manner, in the context in which they are given to us, they are all, all connected to sexual sin, all connected to sexual sin. First one is sexual immorality, fornication, porneia, where we get the word pornography from. This is any form of sexual sin. Two, Impurity, right? This is uncleanliness. It it, it might not be impurity in your um, notes. It might be some of the definitions that I give or descriptions, right? This is uncleanliness of thought, word, or action, moral filth. This is not physical dirtiness, okay? Impurity, uncleanliness. Next one is passion. Passion, lust, uncontrollable, unbridled Lust in a sexual nature. Evil desire. This is illicit cravings, intense and violent cravings. Fifth one, covetousness, which is also idolatry. We see it there in the scripture. Idolatry, wanting what you don't have to satisfy a sexual appetite. A a wholehearted desire that is not from god one of the things that i wanted to share with you is some statistics now as i i I spent a lot of time on this because i was there's just so much out there when it comes to um pornography um, and how it affects the world and the church and these different things the last major study that was done was done by barna in 2016 to me that's outdated numbers i found some more Updated numbers, but these, are, in my opinion, are outdated because, um, from what I've been been seeing, and some of the numbers that are out there, and there, there's not enough time for the studies that have been done. But since the COVID nineteen quarantine, so to speak, these have jumped tremendously. I'm just going to share a few facts with you. Um, this is a, a um, statistics from um, this group that developed these uh, DVDs and stuff, of Christian DVDs and different things that help you overcome sexual immorality in your life. Um, it's called The Conqueror Series. I'm not promoting that whatsoever. I just found that they had a little more up-to-date statistics for me to grab from, um, and I'm doing that uh, now, okay? One, over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and, and Major League Baseball combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Um, In my opinion, that's not really saying much. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the the material uh, infidelity rate by more than 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. And 94% 94 of children will see pornography by the age of 14. Staggering statistics. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70%, now this is where it gets into the church, 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for pornography. 59% of pastors say that married men seek their help from pornographic use. 33% 33% of women aged 25 and under search for pornography at least once a month. Here's another one there. Only 13% of women, Christian women, say they never watched porn. So that tells us that 87% of Christian women watch pornography. 55% of married men and 25% of women watch pornography at least once a month, fifty-seven percent of pastors say porno, por, pornographic addiction is the biggest problem in their church, and there are other statistics that I came across. And the the thing is, is those statistics are so staggering that they broke broken them down into seconds. Every second this many times this is searched. Every second, this many times these pages are accessed. Every second, this, that. And it's such a plague, not only in our society, in our culture, but as we can see in the statistics, which I believe are not entirely accurate, that they are much higher than that with the pandemic. It's in the church. And so my question is, what hill are you dying on? I know this is a tough topic to look at, but this is something that we come across here in Scripture and something that is plaguing our churches. Not only those that are within the church, but those that lead the church as well. Why? Because Paul addressed this specifically because this is what the Colossians were doing. We're dealing with. We're bringing into the church, have brought into the church, porneia, sexual immorality. So it gives us a question to answer as we continue on. Are we obedient to sin or God? What hill are you choosing to die on? What are the things that you are clinging to and not letting go in your life? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I have a, a little grouping here of passages we're going to look at. Bear with me, okay? I, I know I can, and this is why I said I, I we can spend all day going over this and looking at There's so much scripture um, that we can look at, but I'm just going to hit it with this section and a few other things before we move on. But Matthew chapter 5 Verse 27. Jesus is teaching, speaking here. You have heard that it, is, that, it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. You see the word members again, right? And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go in to hell. Jesus is telling we need to kill the sin, the sexual immorality that we are hanging on to. That plagues our hearts and minds, our families, our marriages, our churches. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Now the the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the things we need to continue to see as this is a a common teaching by Paul. Paul continues to address this. Paul continues to to hit on it. Why? Because this is something that plagued the early church. This is something that as they continue to go into these places and, and convert people and plant these churches and build up these churches, they continue to cling to their old self, to their flesh. Why? Because they didn't kill it. They didn't put it to death. It's the exact same thing in our current culture, in our current um, climate of our churches. We cannot separate. We cannot separate our salvation from the way that we live. We cannot separate how we do things and the decisions we make from our salvation. Some people continue to use the excuse of, of separating things for some Odd reason. They they don't see as a believer you belong to Christ. And everything you do in this world is viewed through God's Word. Having a biblical worldview. Everything we do in this world should be filtered through God's Word. Everything. This is the standard. These are the commands that God gives us on how we are to live our lives there's no negotiation, there's no debating, there's no thing that says, well, you know, we need to separate this and we need to separate that and, and it doesn't apply here or it doesn't apply there. And Honestly, as Christians, you're a Christian first. Before we go to our next one in First Corinthians, we have to understand this and I, I'm going to address this again later, but I, I, I feel the need to 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 touch on it now. Your race, your culture, the color of your skin, where you come from. None of that matters. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the only hill you need to die on. And it's something that I've been faced with before. It's something that I've been told before. Raph, you're you're Mexican. I didn't think you'd believe that. You're Hispanic. I didn't think you would do that. What are you talking about? I'm a Christian. Thing is, is we need to understand you cannot separate the spirit, your faith from your flesh. Cannot. Either you fully belong to God or you don't. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Man, have I seen people take this verse out of context over and over again. It's like, oh, all things are permissible. All things are permissible. Eh, it's okay. I'm not a slave to this. I'm not a slave to that. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach And the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, okay, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. This is one of the reasons why every time when people do things, I, say, I ask them why, why, why? I wanted to. Okay. Because I felt like it. I thought it was cool. Okay. I was tempted. Why? Why? See, as we see and we look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have to understand as God, what, paid the price for us, and we, if then raised, seek, set, right? Therefore, is it heavenly things? Do we truly see that the flesh belongs to God, that this is a holy temple? Now, I know it talked about food in the stomach, and some of us, like myself, are working on a megachurch, right, from within, okay? We, we got to work on that too, right? That's why I love talking to Emmanuel. It, every time I talk to him about nutrition, different things, I'm so convicted, right? But the thing is, we have to understand we cannot separate our faith from flesh. We cannot do that. We can't. What you're doing, the decisions you make about what you put in your body, what you do with your body. Why? Why? What are the desires that you have within you? Why? If then raised, seek, set. Do you get it? Some of us continue to want to look more and more like the world because for some reason we think we need to be accepted by the world. The Bible tells us, what is it if you gain the world, if you lose your soul? Maybe that's something you should have put before you every day. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? A lot of times we deal with things in an inappropriate way or we justify our reasoning because we like to justify our reasoning. Well, God's still going to accept me. God's still going to love me. God, why are you so worried about how close you can get to sin and God's still going to love you or how much you can sin and God's still going to love you? Yeah, God's still going to love you. But then the question that you have to ask yourself, are you truly saved? Because if your desire is set on the world and not on God, what does the scripture tell us? And that's why it keeps going back to if-then. Sexual sin is a huge, huge issue in the church. and We must get to the root of it in our lives, in your life, in my life. One of the things that I... Man, this was years ago, I, probably 12, 13, 14 years ago, I... I I, I use this analogy, and um, my wife and I recently did some yard work in the front of our house, and uh, and one of the things we always deal with in, in the garden or flower beds or whatever is, is weeds. We always deal with these weeds, right? Always popping up. And one of the things um, that I learned a long time ago, and, and, and uh, my cousin had told me at one point, he goes, you know what? When there's a lot of weeds, you just take your weed eater and cut them off, just, cut them off, cut them down and you know as they pop back up just cut them again. I'm like, oh, "Okay." And then after 3 or 4 times of doing that, I, I was like, "Man, wh- I I got to keep cutting these weeds over and over and over again every week." But I learned if I get down on my hands and knees and I pull them by the root. And I try to 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 really get down and 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 not pull too hard, but to to gently twist and pull and try to get all that root out as I possibly can. I will then begin to start eliminating those weeds. Sometimes a root will break off in the dirt and, you know, two or three weeks later it pops back up. But I found that pulling that up, it not only helps get the root out, get rid of that particular weed for that, you know, time, but it also kind of tills the soil. And how much is that the same in our own lives? That a lot of times we have sin in our lives and we think we can just come and chop off the top and deal with the stuff on the surface and put a little Band-Aid on it and we're good. But we never get to the root of the problem. Just like getting on our hands and knees to pull the weeds out by the root, we need to get on our hands and knees and pray to God to get to the root of the problem of the sin in our lives. Because unless we ever get to the root of the problem, we'll never kill the sin. We'll never put to death the sin that we are clinging to, that we are allowing to be stored up and have residence in our hearts. We need to uproot the sin in our lives, to retill the soil of our hearts, and understand that. It's not just what we know. It's just not what we believe or desire, but it's how we're going to live out God's word. All those need to be compiled and blended and applied together. Why? Because we see in verse six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And some may look at this like, okay. The wrath of God is going to come someday and we think it's a it's a reference to the second coming. And that's not it at all. It's the way it's worded here, especially in the Greek. It, 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 it's it's. Communicating that God's wrath is already here and it's going on. That these are the consequences of the sin that we have. What we do in the flesh, we're, we're going to reap what we sow. We have to understand that this wrath that God has, that God is bringing, it's already here and it's continuous. And it's because of sin. The sin in my life, the sin in your life, the sin in the world. So we need to remember, we need to put to death this sin. We need to kill it. Let's continue on to The rest of our passage verses seven through ten says and these you two once walked away, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must what put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And what? Have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We we will we're gonna look at ten as we go through this, but I'm gonna hit on ten again next week. Don't worry. But we need to remember that we once walked in these sins, and this is what Paul is doing. He's like, look, you used to live this way. If then raised, seek, set, right? Put off, put on. Did you truly put it off? These sins that were continuing to, to be dragged into the church, that would continue to be clinged on by these converted Colossians, right? They did not walk away from this sin. They did not put it to death, but they ultimately accepted Christ at Calvary and walked away with Christ and their old selves. Not truly killing them off. We see here in verse seven, in these you want in in these you two once walked when you were living in them. And Paul specifically puts that here because it's a reminder of look, it's not you anymore. And how is that not you? By what he puts here in verse eight, but now you must put them all away, right? You must put them all away. You must kill it off. You must be done with it. This reference here of of putting off, right, of the old self, um, Paul words it in such a way it's like stripping off old clothes, your old self. Um, The best description or the best uh, picture I can give you is uh, when I was in the military, um, I spent a lot of time in the field being an infantry soldier, and we would go 30-day or plus rotations. You don't get a shower. A lot of times, some of the clothing that we were wearing during that rotation, it goes in the garbage. There's no getting out that smell. See? If you can picture that, of living out in the forest, in the woods, training, you're sweating, you're constantly getting dirty, all these things, and living for 30 days, how much are you going to desire that shower? To be clean, clean clothes. That's the description that Paul is giving us here. That's how we should view our old self. That it's dirty. It's gross. It's contaminated. We, we, we want to get it off. We want to strip it off. We want to we get clean. But to see, the thing is, that's what the cross was for. That's what the blood of Christ has done. But for some of us, we want to continue to cling to that. We don't want to continue to cling to the dirtiness, to the filthiness, to the ways of this world, to the sin. But why? There's a it's in Proverbs as well, but um, it and and I don't have a slide for it, but turn with me to 2 Peter, and and it, and it gives us an understanding of of our mindset, and and this always is a conviction to me when I'm given this um, analogy, or or what what we're compared to of those that continue to cling to the dirtiness, to the to the old mindset, to continue to go back to the old self and cling to the old self and not the new self and not the cross. Second Peter chapter two, um, verse twenty one. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mirror. And just that imagery and applying it to myself, man, how convicting is that? That because of Christ, we are cleansed. Salvation, we are cleansed. But why do we keep wanting to be filthy and dirty and clinging to the old self? And not truly strip it away. To throw it out. To kill it. We see Paul hit some other things here. And this is very typical. We, and Jesus did the same thing. We're going to see a reference to that in a moment. But um, it's simply this. As he lists these very difficult hard things. Like okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay, I don't deal with that. That's not a struggle of mine. And and in the first set of things that Paul listed. uh, There are people who don't may not struggle with that. And so then Paul's like, well, here's something else you should have put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put it off. You have put off the old self with its practices this anger, okay, is attitude of hatred, right? Wrath or it could be rage. It's an outburst of anger. Malice. Uh, malice essentially is the vice that that, that is below. Um, is what it's what push pushes anger and, and wrath and um, it, it's it's basically ill intent or or thought, right? Malice. Um, slander is evil speaking tearing down gossip obscene talk is filthy language and abrasive speech <clears throat> and then the word lying not being honest not being truthful being deceitful being misleading a lot of times we we take this word lying and as long as we tell the truth right um in, in a court of law it says do you, do you swear to tell the truth the whole the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and that's put in there for a reason. As they place their right, um, their hand on the Bible, and and thing is, is that we're we're so great at manipulating words and deceiving people. Well, if I tell them this part of the truth, then it's not so bad. Or if I tell them this part of the truth, then their mind is probably going to go this direction and not down the path of the real truth. But it's not my fault. See, if you remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and I read it earlier, we need to be honest. We need to be truthful to our neighbor. And the thing is, as we continue to go down that path, to turn a blind eye, to not help, to not bear each other's burdens, to not confront one another in love, not talk about issues, but instead we continue to hold on to the old self. We continue to cling to the things that uh, that are not of the cross, that are not of God. And I know these might be more common sins, um, but basically they're listed to encompass that all sin against God shall be put to death. All sin should be put off with the old self. Now, I'm sure some might be thinking that they're getting off with whatever as we looked at the first set, and then we look at the second set, and it was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe you don't fall into either sets of sin. Maybe you have a sin that we didn't touch or we didn't look at, but I ask that you not be like the young, rich ruler of Matthew 19. And I reference this a lot, and I generally just you know, give my commentary or a brief summary on it, but I want us to turn there because I want us to see Jesus's words and his interaction with the young rich ruler firsthand. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, Ah, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't want us to focus on the difficulty of of a rich person because I think in some essence we are all rich. We all have far more than we deserve and we we all have far more than we need. But this is what... The point that I want to pull out from Jesus's teaching is, what are we holding? What are we hiding within us? What are we not truly addressing? What are we truly not killing? What are we not giving up to God? Because a young rich ruler it's like, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. I'm good. I'm living a righteous life. But Jesus, he didn't see that. He saw what he was struggling with. He saw the heart. And see, a lot of times we want to go back to that bumper sticker slogan. It's like, well, Christians, we want to be be known for what we're for. Why are we always looking at how people fail? Let's encourage them in all the good stuff, all the good stuff. And we love that. And then what? Then we never address the sin in our lives. We never address the carnality, the world, the flesh. We never truly put off the things that we're called to put off. We have never truly come to the cross and given everything to God and walk away to live a life for him. But see, the thing is, is that we have come to the cross and put Jesus in our pocket and walked away to live a comfortable life. See, the thing is, is you you need to know what Jesus is against. We need to kill sin in our lives. We need to put off the old self. We need to put to death the sin that we are continuing to hold on within us that is fully keeping us from what? Following Christ. Because what did Jesus say? He says, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Then come follow me and be my disciple. See, out of that whole story, We should be looking at that part. Not to sell all that you have and give to the poor, because this is the one thing that the young rich ruler was dealing with, but digging down deep and seeing what are the sins that I'm clinging to. Because to be honest, those are the hills that you're choosing to die on. Those are the hills you're choosing to die on. Because you haven't got rid of him. And then follow Jesus. I'm not saying by any means we need to be perfect before we can follow Christ. But I am saying this as a believer. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And there should be convictions. And as we have those convictions... We need to get on our hands and knees and pull out those weeds to pull out those sins by the root. And sometimes they might come back. Sometimes they might not. But we need to pull out sin by the root. So have you put on the new self? Have you truly died on the hill that God has called you to die on? Or are you dying on the hill of sin? Of your own emotion? Your own passions. Are you a fanatic about for all the wrong things? We have to remember the if then. The if then. Turn me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. I love this passage because this is a reminder of how much, how important, how great, how much Jesus has gone through. Verse four, says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you Have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there. Whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline. In which all have participated. Then you are illegitimate children. And not sons. God disciplines us. Because he loves us. The thing is. Is. There's no sin too great that God, that God cannot help us deal with. Some of us may be feeling hopeless. Some of us may not even think that we can accomplish anything. I know it's tough. I know it's tough for those that are living in sin. Habitual sin, constant sin, sin that You have not or cannot or feel you cannot deal with. It doesn't matter if it's once a month, once a week or every day. We need to understand. We need to understand. that we need to continue to endure. Some of us are struggling. Some of us may have even given up. But I want you to be encouraged by this next passage. Because this is something that encourages me. In my struggles. Paul had a great struggle of his own. There's a lot of speculation on exactly what it was. I have my own speculation. I'm not going to share it. I'm just going to let the passage speak for itself. But may you be encouraged by this because Paul struggled. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. Wrote the majority of the New Testament. Such a godly man endured so much. Beaten and shipwrecked and stranded and jailed and persecuted and all these different things. Even by those that are in the church. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15 For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing. Thanks be thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul struggled. Paul recognized his struggle. Why does he do the things that he knows he's not supposed to do? he has a desire to want to please god and honor god but the flesh continues to rage war against him one of the things we need to understand as believers that just because we come to the cross and we have salvation it doesn't mean we're going to walk away perfect and without sin it means the journey begins And the battle begins. And the war begins. Because the world is constantly trying to get at you. The flesh is constantly trying to go back. To what it knows, what it desires, what it craves. And the thing is, we have a choice to give in to sin. To give in to the flesh. Or to rely on God. See, these are the hills. We need to not be dying on. We need to not be defensive about. We need to not argue about. That we need to let go of. Because the only hill. That's worthy. Is the hill that Jesus died on. Calvary. The cross. Salvation. So stop chasing the things of this world. Stop being a fanatic of things of this world. Stop. Clinging and putting on the old self. For it died on that cross. If then. Raised. Seek set, put off, and put on. How? By putting to death, by killing the sin that our flesh still clings to, still craves, and still desires. And some of us might be thinking, Pastor Raph, I've dealt with some of this sin in my life for years, and I just can't get rid of it. One of the things that helped me through difficult times and um, especially addressing sin in my life and sin that I had dealt with for years um, is Ephesians chapter six. Um, The ladies should know this very well for that. It was at the uh, taught on at the ladies retreat recently. And it's the armor of God. The armor of God. So that can be your Homework to study the armor of God. But the one thing, the one thing that we truly need to get at and understand is this, prayer. In you know, the armor of God, but we need prayer. Pray. God tells us that we don't fight the wars of this land and the things of the flesh. We fight in the spiritual realm, and we do that through prayer, through God's word. And that's that can be homework for you. That can be a word of encouragement for you. This can be something that you look into to help you battle the sins of your life, the armor of God in prayer. And then from there, I would seek accountability. Someone who is going to be able to speak the hard truth into your life. That's not going to just want to be known for what we're for. But also what God is against. Don't seek out the person you're most comfortable with. Don't seek out the person that is the most uh, warm and fuzzy and encouraging. Seek the person that's going to be honest and loving with you that one that cares enough about you to do what Jesus did to the young rich ruler and say, hey, yeah, you're living a good life, but you're still holding on to this, and you need to let go. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time. Lord, as we looked at a a very tough but convicting and needed passage this morning, Lord God, I pray for everyone out there. I pray for all those that are struggling with sexual immorality, that are struggling with the sins of their old self, Lord God, that are struggling to stop dying on those hills but to cling to the cross. Lord, you know how strong the flesh is the old self. But Lord, we know that you are far stronger and greater. Than any sin. This is the amazing thing of grace, the undeserved favor that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the amazing thing of the body of Christ, the body of the church and your word. That the more we we understand that and the more we see and the more we embrace what Christ did on the cross, the more in love we fall with you. So, Lord, you know some of us are broken, abandoned. We feel that we are abandoned. We feel that we've given up, that there is no hope. Lord, I pray for them that you would give them encouragement, that someone would say something. I pray that you'd give them the strength and the will. To stop dying on those hills. But to make a stand for righteousness. I pray that you would continue. To remind them. That you will never leave them nor forsake them. That there is no sin. Too great. That your grace and mercy. Cannot overcome. So, Lord, thank you for your word. And all that you've done and given us. And for the Holy Spirit. For, Lord, we truly. Truly desire. The convictions. That your word and the Holy Spirit bring us. Why? Because ultimately it draws us. It causes us to be more like Christ.